All right, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're in a series about the Holy Spirit, and we just spent 12 weeks on the fruit of the Spirit, and I told you when I got done with that, that God said, look, you're not finished talking yet. We've got to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to tell you a story to tell you about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I have a friend of mine who I've known him since he was 14. Um, about two years ago on a Christmas Eve, we were in our service, and if you were here, you remember I stopped, and I said, we need to stop and we need to pray right now. And we prayed for a young man who the doctors had said might not make it through the night. And if you remember, we prayed first for his salvation, that God would touch his heart, that he would know, no matter what happened, that he would know Jesus and go home. Or if it was God's will, that he would heal him and allow him to live. I want to introduce you to Brian Kelleher, who doesn't know I'm doing this. Brian, stand up. God chose to heal Brian, and we're so thankful. And I have the honor this afternoon of baptizing him out at the beach. So uh, it's a special day because the power of the Holy Spirit is exactly in that moment. And we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And I just made you sit through slides or got, allowed you to sit through slides looking at the Holy Spirit. Because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit's kind of the forgotten God. But we don't even know how to really relate. We can't figure it out yet. You look at Scripture and it's all about the Holy Spirit. Want to guess how many slides you saw? 41. Want to know how many there are? Over 100. And I wanted you to understand that from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, the entire Bible is about God's Spirit being brought back to earth and placed in us. So we're in a series that's called All In. It's a series about that moment in your life when you decide to follow Jesus without any hesitation no matter what it costs. True followers of Jesus reach a point in their walk when they have to decide, am I really all in? God will take you to that point. I need to know I have your heart. Are you all in? I call these moments flashpoints because there's moments in your life where you make a decision and you know you will never be the same again and you can never go back and be the person you used to be. These moments when you decide with the Spirit that you'll go anywhere, you'll do anything at any time as long as the Spirit is with you and leading you. It's a moment when you finally realize you're no longer living your life for you, but rather for God. It's a moment when you realize you're available and expendable if needed for a mission that's much greater than yourself. It's a moment when you're finally free and at peace because you've placed all that you have into the hands of God and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is worthy. We serve one God who manifests himself, all equally God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or as the old timers used to say when I was a kid, you better behave or the Holy Ghost is gonna come mess with you. See, that's part of the problem. We know how to relate to a father. We may have had struggles with our father. Maybe your father is the worst image you can imagine, but you have an idea of how to relate to a father. 
And we get the relationship with Jesus. He was human. We could see him. He walked on the earth. He did the same things we do. We can figure out how to relate to Jesus. But when you get to the Holy Spirit, it comes weird. How do you relate to a spirit? How do you relate to the Holy Ghost? We know how to develop relationships with people, but this is kind of like trying to have a relationship with the wind. A lot of believers have never developed their relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's something that seems weird about him, the Holy Ghost. Sort of like that crazy uncle that comes to dinner, right? He's part of the family. You know he's important. You know he probably could help you learn things and teach things, but you just have a hard time relating to him. You try, but there seems like there's a disconnect somehow. You don't really understand him. You can't really relate to him, and yet you're related, and he keeps showing up. This Holy Spirit wants to have a relationship with you, wants to connect with you, has important things to teach you and me. The Father, we can imagine, Jesus people saw, but the Holy Spirit, not so much. I used to think he was kind of like Casper, the friendly ghost. Somehow that was going to work, but this is our problem, and I often say this, and I will repeat this, I wish God had named the Holy Spirit Bob. I wish he had. I'm not being disrespectful or anything. I just wish he'd given him the name of a person. When we get to this in detail in the series, but the scriptures are clear that the Holy Spirit is a person. Let me repeat that. The Holy Spirit is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Keep repeating that until you know it. Because as long as you still think the Holy Spirit is like some force, like may the force be with you or some spirit, you'll never develop a relationship with him. We only know how to develop relationships with people and things. We don't know how to develop a relationship with the esoteric. He's a person. Use Bob if you have to until it sinks in. It's critical to understand this because we're gonna be trying to develop the most important thing we develop as believers is a relationship with him. He seems to be the forgotten God, the crazy uncle that we deal with, but we don't really embrace. I believe the greatest challenge to the church today is the lack of relationship most believers have with the Holy Spirit. Simply, we're not spirit-led because we don't have a relationship with the Spirit. Too many people are operating on their own. Too many people are ignorant of the Spirit and the power that God gives to us. Now, the Holy Spirit, he's often ignored or misrepresented, but he never draws attention to himself. That's why he's so different. He says, and we just saw the scriptures, I'll glorify Jesus. I'll point to Jesus. Every spiritual experience you and I have ever had was with the Holy Spirit, not with Jesus. Let that sink in for a minute. Every experience you and I have ever had is with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been in heaven since his ascension. He's at the right hand of God. He's interceding on our behalf. He left the Holy Spirit here. The God that we worship, the God that guides us, the God that teaches us and convicts us and does everything for us is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, but always points to Jesus. We'll learn that he's the one who pursued you, convicts you of sin, 
leads you to repentance, teaches you all things, reveals all things, grows you spiritually, gives you spiritual gifts, empowers you with spiritual fruit. The relationship that you have with Jesus is actually with the Holy Spirit. But it never really, since he doesn't draw attention to himself, he's fine giving Jesus all the glory, and so are we. I'm not saying it's wrong to say you talked to Jesus this morning or you did things. I just want you to understand that it's the Holy Spirit that is driving you to worship Jesus. The more you become like the Spirit, the more you're going to talk about and worship Jesus. It's what happens. John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He is the forgotten God. He's the one doing all the work and glorifying Jesus all the time. It's not wrong to have a relationship with Jesus. Please don't mishear me. But just understand that it's the person of the Holy Spirit that is guiding you and teaching you. And you need to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit in you. All of creation was created for the glory of God. As such, God pours out the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. If someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they will talk about Jesus constantly because that's what he does. It's so important to understand. As you mature in Christ, as the Holy Spirit comes more and more in you, you will speak of Jesus more and more in your life. If he's leading, he's going to glorify God. He's going to glorify Jesus. And if he's leading through you, you will be glorifying Jesus. That's so important to understand because you're going to be in places in your walk where you're going to see people glorify the Spirit. And that's not the Spirit. The Spirit never brings glory to himself. The Spirit always brings glory to Jesus. If you're in a place where it looks like everybody's just all pumped up with the Spirit, And look at what the Spirit's doing. Look at how great the Spirit is. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always, always points to Jesus. If you go to a place where people are full of love for Jesus and you see them worshiping and you hear them talking and you see how they give glory to Jesus, that's where the Holy Spirit's working. I believe one of the ways you can discern tongues and prophecy and all the things we're gonna talk about is from where the attention is in the room. The Holy Spirit will not allow the attention to be on him. The attention will be on Jesus. Now, we'll cover this in detail later, but just put it in your mind, the Holy Spirit never worships himself. And it's one God in three persons. Now, in week one of this series, we studied Moses. And we had some amazing experiences with God, and we learned that God told him, I know your name, Moses. I know who you are. I know your character. God spoke to him like a man talks to a friend. And yet we learn that even after everything Moses had experienced, he wanted more. He wants more. He says, please show me your glory again. Moses wanted a flashpoint. He wanted another moment to see the glory of God. He said, basically, I want to see something else supernatural happen. 
And what happens is Moses was like, look, God, I've tasted, I've seen, I've touched, I know who you are, give me more. Because whenever you experience God, all you want is more. It's easy for us to want more stuff. Moses wanted more God. After all Moses experienced, he still wanted to see God's glory again. Now, we're tempted all the time in the world we live in to want to pursue stuff, to want more stuff, to make our lives about getting more stuff, to make our lives about holding on to more stuff and worrying about more stuff. But for those who follow Jesus, there's a longing like Moses. You find yourself just wanting more and more of God. As the Holy Spirit takes over your life, as he begins to move, you find within you this desire to know more about God. In the midst of pleasures of life, something's missing. We have an internal homing beacon that draws us home. We have something about us that, that wants us to go home. We know it. The more we mature, the more the Holy Spirit takes over our life. The more we surrender our flesh and who we are and we allow God to live through us, we begin to want to move home. Years ago, I was in the country beating up my old uh, car, interviewing for residencies, going from place to place. And so I got in my car. I threw some food in the back. I was 21 years old or something like that. Yeah, and so, no, 24. And so, anyway, I'm driving around the country. I went to Duke and Vanderbilt and Memphis and Gainesville, Emory, just to find a place to do a residency. Tammy flew out to meet me for three days. She flew into Atlanta. We saved up all of our money. We, I was staying in like flea bag hotels, but when she came, I had to amp it up, so we saved up our money. And life was really good. I was graduating from medical school and I was starting a residency and Tammy was pregnant with our first child. It was incredible. Within a few days of Tammy's arrival, she started to have a miscarriage. It would be the first of six. We didn't know it at the time. I put her on a plane back to Dallas and I got in my car and I started driving from Atlanta. And I'll never forget that feeling. I got to get home. Nothing else mattered. I got to get home. I can't stay where I'm at. Everything in me was get me home. I talked to Tammy several times and it boosted my spirits, but I was desperate to be home. I don't know how fast I drove, but it wasn't legal. That desire to go home, the need to be and feel at home, God puts that within us spiritually. Nothing satisfies you. Nothing on this earth can substitute for it. I, I just want to go home. I talked about it a few weeks ago when I was talking about the difference between joy and happiness. And I said, I'm not happy. I don't like what's going on in the world, but I'm full of joy. I want to go home. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel spiritually? No matter what happens here on earth, there's a part of you that just wants to go home. I find that the older that I get, the more I understand the Holy Spirit. The stronger that pull becomes. I think it's one of the gifts God actually gives us as we get older. It begins to feel natural to mature in your faith and at the same time, head home. I long to be in a place of genuine love, true peace, unlimited joy, overflowing kindness and explosion of goodness. 
to be in a place where Jesus is honored and given the respect, authority, and glory that he deserves. No sin, no death, no disease, no tears, no lying, no manipulation, no one taking advantage of anyone else, everyone in pure love pulling for one another, celebrating with one another, encouraging one another, no pretenses, no hidden secrets, no jealous thoughts, no envy, pure relationships. I could go on and on. But honestly, as I get older, the pull to go home gets stronger. When I was younger, I thought Paul was crazy. And now that I'm older, I still think he's crazy. But I understand the scripture a little bit more. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. As I get older, as I mature in my faith, I think I understand more about what Paul's saying. Honestly, the stronger your faith becomes, the more you understand and believe the promises of God. And the more you embrace the certainty of God's promises, going home just seems to fit. Yet God has called us to work. So we stay here on mission, but we long for home. Jesus longed to go home. John 13, Jesus starts to tell his disciples about going home. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid out his outer garments, took a towel and tied it around his waist. Jesus modeled for his disciples. They didn't know it at the time, but what he says is, look, I'm going away and I got something for you to do when you're here, after I'm gone. I want you to serve other people. I want you to get down and do the dirty work and serve other people in love. But then he dropped the bombshell on them. Little children, yet, a little while I am with you, you will seek me just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you also, where I'm going, you can't come. Jesus says, look, I'm leaving you here on mission. What mission? Well, he says that in the next verse. A new commandment I give you, to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is telling, look, I'm going away, and when I'm gone, you need to serve and love one another. If you serve and love one another, people will see me. They'll know you're my disciples. I'm leaving you here to love other people. That's why you're here. Show them who I am. Jesus knows it's his time to go home. His mission on earth will soon be accomplished. His Father is in heaven. He longs to take his place there on the throne. He tells him, though, but I'll be back. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you will know the way to where I'm going. Now, this is when the freak out starts. 
You have to connect with the emotions of the disciples to understand the events that happen next. When I taught on how to read the Bible, I said, you can't miss the emotions. Jesus is trying to teach us. Thomas turns to him and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I'm sure Jesus looked straight at Thomas. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And it's not in Scripture, but I think Thomas said, that's great, but what does that mean? I have no idea what you're talking about. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Well, you're leaving. What does that mean? You're, you're going home. You're leaving us here, and you say that you're the way. The way you just walked out the door. It's great that you're coming back, Jesus, but I'm messed up right now. My sins are forgiven, but what about the ones I'm struggling with right now? What about the temptation I have right now? You see, I feel powerless, Jesus. You need to be here with me. I read your word, but I don't always understand it. When people ask me about you, Jesus, I don't really know what to say. I can't wrap my mind around you. How can I represent you? How am I ever going to explain to these people, Jesus, I don't have the words. I need strength and encouragement, but I feel powerless and hopeless. I don't know where to go, what to do. You can't leave us here, Jesus. We don't know how to love the kind of love you have. We don't know how to have the peace that you have. You have a kindness we can't even fathom. We're not good like you. We need you. We need you right here with us. You can't leave. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to be your disciples. You're powerful. You bring miracles. We don't. They want to kill us because of you. How are we going to have the strength to avoid that if you're not with us? That task that you've given us is too big. We're not equipped. We need you. And just like we study with Moses in Meek 1, Jesus, you're going away. And he says what Moses says. Look, if you're not going with us, we don't want to go. I don't want to go. I can't live if living is without you. You can't abandon us. We're just starting. We all know about you, Jesus. We, we, we were witnesses to what you did. It was incredible. It was supernatural. You're God, and that's God's stuff that we saw. You calmed storms. You raised the dead. You healed the sick. We spent every moment for three years with you, but if you leave, we don't want to live because we're going to fail. You don't understand how bad we need you. I don't want your blessings if I can't have your presence. You see, when you understand the disciples, their fears, their limitations, their concerns, their problem with Jesus leaving, then you begin to understand what it meant to get a comforter, to get the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Greek word also comforter to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance everything I said to you. I I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to Him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus tells him, look, you should be celebrating with me. My mission's over. It's accomplished. I'm going back to be with the Father. I'm returning to my glory. And all you're thinking about is yourself and that I won't be here. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness, judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. Jesus says, look, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his authority, but what he hears, he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me. Now it's Peter's turn. I love Peter. Peter's my favorite. He says what he thinks and he just verbally vomits and it's just there. And I love that Peter does that because he reminds me of me. Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And then we remember the verse about the rooster crowing three times. Peter's heart's broken. Jesus is leaving. Peter's grieving. He'd rather die than not have Jesus with him. And he doesn't know how he's going to succeed if Jesus isn't there with him. And guess what? When Jesus isn't there with him, he doesn't succeed. Peter's going to fail. He's going to deny Jesus. And when that happens... Jesus is not beside him, and the Spirit has not yet come to him. He's powerless. He had no chance, and he knew it. Without Jesus, he could do nothing. He says, look, I'd rather die, because I'm going to fail. And then he denies Jesus three times, and he recognizes his desperation for Jesus. You see, Peter was all in. He would do anything, go anywhere, anytime, at any cost, as long as Jesus was with him. Without Jesus, he knew he'd fail. So what about you? How desperate are you for the Holy Spirit? For God's presence on this earth? Think about this. Jesus left the earth. He's right now at the right hand of the Father. He's not here walking with you. He's not guiding you. He's not teaching you. He's not reminding you. He's not comforting you. He's not empowering you. He's gone. He'll come back, but he's gone. Everything you've ever seen and experienced on earth came from the Holy Spirit. The only manifestation of God on this earth right now is the Holy Spirit inside the lives of believers. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write the scripture. The Holy Spirit taught us what we should know. When the scriptures were written, the New Testament, Jesus was in heaven. 
The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. Everything you've experienced on this earth is the work and effort of the Holy Spirit, but all the glory goes to God because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin, taught you the truth about Jesus, gave you the faith to believe, led you back to God, all while Jesus was in heaven. He revealed truth to you. He revealed the mysteries of God to you. He's the one that prompts you to stay in your knees, to abide with him so that you can experience Christ. If anything of God has happened in your life on this earth, the Holy Spirit was involved. Every experience we've had has been modified, driven, and orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. So why does it seem that he's the forgotten God? Bill Bright, the president of Campus Crusades for Christ, died several years ago, but he left this quote. Um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says he guides us, he empowers us, he makes us holy, he bears witnesses in our lives, he comforts us, he gives us joy. As a teacher of spiritual truth, the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds with insights into the mind of Christ and reveals to us the hidden things of God. As you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible becomes alive. Prayer becomes vital. Your witness becomes effective and obedience becomes a joy. Then as a result of your obedience in these areas, your faith grows and you become more mature in your spiritual life. You see, the Holy Spirit is critical to Christian life. No matter how much you know about the Bible, no matter how much you discipline yourself, no matter how hard you try to serve and please God, if you're not connected to the Holy Spirit, your Christian walk will stagnate. The Christian life is not some ritual of things to do or teaching. It's a relationship. He was given to us so that we could have a relationship with him. He's a person that we can relate to. That's why Jesus told his disciples to wait until they were empowered before they went to do anything. He says, basically in Luke 24, he said to them, this is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, look, I have a dynamic full life for you. I have a life for you that's better than if I was standing right next to you. I have a, a, a helper, a comforter, someone who's going to empower you. But don't you dare go out in the world and try to represent me without him. You wait until you know you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Because if you go out in the world and try to represent me without the Holy Spirit, people will see through that. He essentially tells them, don't you dare. You go to Jerusalem, you wait as long as it takes until you know you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. So why do we have such a hard time? Why does it seem so hard to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit? Well, like I said earlier, humans can't have a relationship unless they see someone as a person. Many Christians can't relate to the Holy Spirit because they still think of him as some impersonal high power. 
like the mysterious force in Star Wars. We treat him like the power on a wall. If we could just plug in, maybe he could make things happen to us. Maybe he could give us these gifts and maybe he could give us these crazy things, wild things we can do. And everybody know we're full of the Spirit. First thing we have to know, the Holy Spirit is a person. Bob, maybe. But come back next week and we're gonna go over that in detail. As you begin to study the Holy Spirit, you have to begin to see that the Holy Spirit is as much a person as Jesus was when he walked the earth. As we start this journey to understand, and we're gonna spend some time in a minute praying at the altar, praying for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. All believers get to a point where they have an upper room moment in their spiritual walk. They understand, believe, and know that Jesus died on the cross. They know he paid for our sins. He resurrected. He ascended to heaven. They have almost no doubts about that. They've surrendered to Jesus. They've received the gift of salvation. And they've been baptized. But now what? Well, Jesus said, go wait until the Holy Spirit empowers you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, leads you to the upper room. You know, Jesus could have taken us straight to heaven the moment we believe. You ever think about that? He could have said, oh, you're saved? Come on. Come on. That's not what he did. He left his bride on this earth even after we're saved. Why? So that we could love people the way he did. So that we could share the gospel with them. So they could experience what we've experienced. You see, we're here because we're on mission. And the mission we have is to surrender to ourselves, to basically get rid of ourselves and to allow the Holy Spirit of God to flow through us. They don't need to see our love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. They need to see love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness from the throne of God pouring through us. And when that happens, they're going to look at you and go, that's not you. That didn't come from here. That, that's supernatural what you're doing. Loving those kind of people. Caring about that kind of person. We have two choices, really. We can go out in the world and try to pretend that we know Jesus and we can try to represent him through our own efforts. It'll fail, but it's built some churches. Or we can ask God to send the Holy Spirit to us. To get on our knees, express our need to God, beg him to empower us so that we can share the gospel with others. Luke said this, if you know that those who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But then James comes along and says, you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, a lot of times people get on their knees and say, God, I want more of you so we can make more of me. I want more of you so people can glorify me. That's not how this works. God, I want more of you so people will quit seeing me. I want more of you so they don't even know I'm here. All they see is you when I walk in the room. If you surrendered to Jesus and you're here on earth, he said to wait until you receive power. You're his follower. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit do you become his representative. 
Many of us in the church today need a flashpoint. We need to realize the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the power of the Spirit. And we need to understand how desperate we should be that God gives us full power of his power when we go out into the world. Right now, as I talk about the church praying to receive all of the Holy Spirit, some people might be getting nervous. Uh-oh, here it comes. I want to tell you something. Every time I've taught on the Holy Spirit, I begin to get emails trying to sway me one direction or another. Can I just tell you, it's not me. We're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to decide for ourselves what it says. And what it says, it says. Now, here's the deal. You may be thinking, are we going to flop people and have people vibrate and stuff? Hope he doesn't go there. But let's be honest. When you read this book and you see what the Holy Spirit does and you read the passages about the Holy Spirit, doesn't something in you start to, wow, I want to experience God. Don't you feel inside of you like, I think there's more. I think there's more to this walk than what I'm experiencing. I, I just think there's more. I know it's not about experiences and feelings. It's about aligning with Scripture. But the Scriptures say, I have more for you. Will you please get out of the way and let me work through you? You'll experience me in ways you've never seen. And if the Spirit of God is in me, and Jesus says it's better to have the Spirit of God in me than him standing next to us, there sure was a lot going on when Jesus was here. There sure was a lot of supernatural stuff happen. And if he told me to continue his mission, shouldn't there be similar things happening now? If I have the power to do more than Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, shouldn't my life be exploding? Shouldn't there be things around me that are happening that are of God? Inside, there's something in you that says, I know there's more. I know there's more for me. I know there's more for our church. I don't know what it looks like for you, for me, for our church. Let me just remind you, the people in the upper room, Jesus didn't tell them how this was going to happen. He said, look, I'm going away. I'm going to send you a helper. Okay? They could have thought it was going to be somebody walk in the room. They had no idea. I'm going to send you a helper. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go pray for the helper. I want you to go to Jerusalem, get on your knees, and pray and wait for it to come. They didn't know what they were praying for. Here's what they prayed for, though. Whatever it is, God, if it's from you, we want all of it. Whatever it is, God, if it's from you, we want every drop of it. And we don't want it so we'll look good. We want it so we can go out in the world and show people how incredible you are. When you're willing to get on your knees and say, God, look, I don't know what this looks like. You may have me speaking in tongues. You may have me prophesying. You may have me doing things. You may not do anything. I don't know what it is, but here's what I know. If you've got it for me, I want it. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what other people think. I want all that you have for me. So pour out your spirit on me in whatever way that works. Don't let me not receive because I didn't ask. And don't let me not receive because I want to use it for me. I want to go out in the world and be the strongest representative of you I can be. And I need your spirit to do that. 
So I'm getting on my knees today, God, and I'm saying, I don't know about anybody else in this room, but revival starts with me and I need your spirit. When I read the Bible and I read about the Holy Spirit, my first thought is there's more. There's more. There's more that God wants to do through us. There's more that God wants to experience. There's more that he wants to show us. There's so much more in life that he wants from me. More that he wants to do through me. My guess is that you might feel the same way too. There's more, I know it. I know there's more. I know he wants us as a church to raise ourselves spiritually. To surrender more so God can work through us. I know he is. I know he wants to look at this little church and go, now that's a group of people whose hearts are truly mine. A collective group of people that say anything, anywhere, anytime, God, you bring it, whatever it is, we want it. I know there's more. In the next few minutes, we're gonna take some time and pray. Stay where you are, move down to the altar, walk around or whatever it is. Forget about everybody else in this room between you and God. Do you want more? Do you truly want more? And if you're holding back because you're afraid God's gonna do something that would embarrass you, let it go. Whatever God wants to do in your life, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, we have to be ready to receive. Let's pray. God, it was your design that we would be full of the Holy Spirit, that we would go through the world so full of you that no one would see us. And yet, God, along the way, many of us, without even really admitting it, have resisted being fully spirit-filled, whatever that means. God, here's what I know. I know there's more. And I know that you're always wanting to give us more. And you tell us the Holy Spirit is good and important and the person that leads us. And you tell us you give us things that are good if we ask for them. So God, would you open up our hearts to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, you have so much more for us than we think. That maybe, just maybe, this life of ours is actually of yours. And that we need to surrender more so we can receive more and be transformed more. So right now, God, whatever's hindering any of us in this room or online from receiving all that you have for us, would you bring it to our minds so that we can move it out of the way and place you first? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.